0: Hey everyone, how's it going? My name is Blair Cinta. This is another interview I've done with a recording slash drummer friend. And this one is with my friend, Justin Glasgow. Um, Justin is not only a great drummer, but a great producer. He's joined with Matt Berenger of the National, Avril Lavigne, Blake Mills. He was a member of the band, The Lone Bellow. Um, and currently he's producing a lot uh, and he splits his time between LA and Nashville. Um, and he's a really great guy. We've, we've run in the same circle for a long time, so, but this was kind of our first in-depth conversation about recording and things. Um, we kind of start off with some cymbal talk, some gear talk, some drumming talk, and then we, we get into the recording uh, conversation about halfway through. Um, unfortunately, Zoom cut off. We, we added another camera and it had cut off without me knowing it, you know, kind of when he was going to show us his tracking room, but you'll get the idea through his control room. some of his processes and uh, some pretty cool insights on on pedals and gear that he uses. Um, He's an incredibly creative guy. So enjoy this interview with Justin. Uh, Comment below if you uh, have any thoughts about it or have any questions, um, please subscribe to the channel. And you can also check out my Five Fundamentals to Studio Drumming available on my website. It's a free lesson and the link is below. And if you're looking for any gear, there's also a Sweetwater.com link down below. uh, If you're looking for microphones or anything like that, uh, or anything anything that we may mention in this uh, interview, if you're curious about it, just head over to Sweetwater through that link. All right, enjoy. Simple and sweet. It cuts off quickly at the end, but uh, I think there's a lot in there that you'll, you'll that you'll dig. All right.
1: And when I came in and saw the place. Um, and met the guy who had had the lease on the whole building um i was like oh this is amazing like these these like these diamonds in the rough like do actually exist right you just really have to look right and it and and it it is it is really just a lot of its luck um so this place was already built out i painted top to bottom i had josh Nyback build my uh you know, like a, like a really great cloud and a bunch of like base traps nice. uh, up here. And then the, the, the tracking room is down there and it's downstairs. It's got really great ceilings, you know, because wow. uh, we're on the second floor up here.
2: Where, what so, part of town?
1: In Eagle Rock, real close to you. Oh, wow. I'm at, I'm right next to the, I'm right at Colorado and Eagle Rock Boulevard.
0: Wow, really? Yeah. Dude, that's amazing.
1: I, I love it. Totally, and it's and it, all the walls are floated. Like the guys did an amazing job. Um, they built it out. Uh, it's been it's been a studio for about ten years.
0: You can go and, get new uh, symbols like anytime you want. Yeah, right. Go
1: see Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I I need to do I need to check in with him. I was just saying to somebody the other day, like I haven't I haven't checked out any of the new exist oh, stuff.
0: It's so dope, dude. Yeah, they're so <laughs> cool. They're just like weird. Mm-hmm. but they really work like anything like first for that thing you're like oh pfft.
1: and the price point because it's the exist line is so like how can you argue it like there's
2: yeah.
1: it's amazing
0: yeah that i got some of those 17 inch hats man yeah I use them all the time
1: dude it's just i i've maybe never was
0: something about that the other day wasn't that you maybe it wasn't uh-huh.
1: okay no but the but the those are those are definitely they're on the list. I mean, what other company does a product like a like an actual product production run right. of seventeen-inch hi-hats? Right. They're just the best. I mean, like I can't. I I love that Dan. What Dan Bailey always says about them is they sound the way cymbals are supposed to sound. Like it's just as simple as that. You know, it's awesome. I I I use I use the. I've got a bunch of thirtieth anniversary stuff that I love, and uh, but when I was touring with uh, with the Lone Bellow, it's a loud. I mean, it's not like a rock band, but it's a loud band. Sure. Um, and I the traditional stuff like was right in the lane. Like it was so perfect, yeah. and Scott picked out a pair of jazz, those jazz hats, the jazz like special hats, yeah, fifteens. Mm-hmm. and i was like i don't know man like it's not really a jazz thing like i don't know he was like just tr- he's the symbol whisperer like he just he he like put, when they were downtown he like went through the rack and was like oh yeah yeah these are the ones you know i mean i was and i he put them on the stand it's like these are the best sounding Hiats i've ever heard i mean it's yeah i i feel so lucky i've been i've been off the road for three years yeah um almost exclusively i did a couple of runs uh last year last summer like week-long things um but like uh, just being able to have there when this when everything shut down in march like i still was able to come in because it's just me it's just my space mm-hmm. and i was like okay let's we don't know how long this thing is going to last so i like rewired my pedal board Mm-hmm you know I had some wiring projects in the patch bay I had um there was like some new Ableton stuff that I wanted to like take to, so I like was able to take some time and just and like be able to finish some spec projects and just get to play right you know for fun yeah yeah <laughs> and, and uh and that was really cool but the panic started setting in and I feel like it started setting in for everybody's because the the clients for me as a producer that had like pushed back and been like, Hey, let's wait. We're supposed. I know we're supposed to track this with a band. Like, let's see if this thing if we can just push the record back a month, or if we can push back two months. And after the first like few weeks, uh, I guess into mid April, I had four clients come back around and go like, right, what can we do? Right? Because they still want to people still want to be like, if this is if we're all going to have some extra time, we want to be able to use it. And if we're gonna have a lot of extra time, like how productive can we be? Um, and it was like a little bit of a learning curve with Zoom and with audio movers, but mm-hmm. everybody was so cool. I put it out there. I was like, this might not work, but let's just try a couple of songs. Right. And if the results are like, if the results feel like we're all connected to this project yep. in a similar way that we would have been had we all been able to be in the room, yep.
2: then
1: let's press on and all four of those projects kind of like worked together through the last few months so everything everything for the artist took longer because we were all kind of just figuring it out um but man i mean and this is just like musicians and artists of any kind like understanding that a technology is your friend and b if we can, if we can, like learn how to create an, from an uncomfortable place and take ourselves out of our comfort zone, then like that is a form of creativity in and of itself.
0: Well said. You know, you know? yeah. I mean, literally after this, after we do this, I'm going to get on the phone and he. We talked two days ago, and he's like, "Hey, man, I we I got to do this thing, but it's got to be like we're in the room together. Have you used Audio Movers?" And I'm like, "Well, I know of it." So, we're, we're literally going to, like, talk about it and try it, like, after this because we needed to, like, hash through some stuff as if, yeah. like, no, that's not the right kick drum pattern, you know, which right. I love because that's one of the the uh, frustrating things about, even though I love what I do in this, yeah. but one of the most frustrating things is that interaction, which can be fixed in, like, literally 30 seconds, but it could take up to two hours with some people, you know? Man
1: what the time that it's going to save you with revisions Mm
2: -hmm.
1: is unreal because you'll have some clients I have I've had one client like a for a drum tracking thing that was like no dude just do it and I was like are you sure are you sure like we can take 30 minutes and I can play down a couple of passes at least we can get the idea and then I can do a full couple more takes and I can do all the editing you don't have to be there for that
2: yeah
1: and cuz i do i like the idea of i like working by myself a lot of the time like it's really fun to like explore sounds but man that that instant feedback I it's it's incredible and you do have to figure out like the zoom thing so i do audio movers in a way that like i feed the zoom audio back through my apollo system yep and then my 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 audio movers goes just from the whatever i'm doing in the in the tracking room like through pro tools so it's like i send them a link they have to open it in google chrome because safari is a nightmare okay um so they're here they can hear me through zoom audio when i'm up here and we're just having a conversation talking about the track whatever it is Mm -hmm. when i go downstairs they're hearing what's coming out of pro tools so i can't monitor through the console Okay. I can't monitor through UA console because they won't be able to hear it. Hmm. So you do have to monitor through your DAW, which is the only trick with like figuring out latency and stuff. But, right. um,
0: and how do you talk to them while you're down there? Do you- I just talk to them through well, I have a talkback setup,
1: um, but I've also got like a 47 over the kit that's okay. like being smashed through an 1176. Yeah, okay. And usually it's so close to me that they hear me perfectly fine.
0: Okay. So you just yeah. don't see them at that point. You just. You just
1: Actually, I put my laptop down there. Okay. So I put my laptop down there for video. Because the other cool thing is with the laptop, like if you had a second screen, an iPad or something using Zoom that's in your tracking room, you okay. could also share your, your Pro Tools screen.
0: Screen share, yeah.
1: Okay. It's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. super great. And I've done it a ton where like I've got a vocal session coming up with an artist in New York. And he's going to go to Studio G to track vocals. And I'm going to, I'll, I'll zoom screen share and mount like keyboard control and engineer the whole session. Wow. And they'll send me audio movers. So I'll be listening in real time. It's, I mean, it's janky because we're still figuring it out. But as long as you can sit back and like take a deep breath and go, this is amazing that we can do this, then it's a lot of fun. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you no, know those guys at audio movers are probably working their ass off to like become the thing right it's like yeah there's i
1: mean there's a bit of a, a race to the finish line with this like audio movers kind of got ahead of it and then sound better i think bought audio movers really yeah so they're a sound better company which i think is like owned by spotify there's a weird like I think every... now spotify
0: owns sound better also yeah
1: right so it's a it's a it's a weird. I don't know what the the end game is there. I hope they don't kill it because it's a really great service. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think people don't understand its limitations. Is that like it will you will have about a half second of lag. Yeah. So we can't like it's hard to like write write songs in that way. Yeah. But I was just doing um a session for uh for Ari Herstand. We were doing his EP. It's a singer songwriter dude here. Yeah, And we were tracking drums and I had Ari on my laptop on Zoom and we were going through a pass, playing like the second or third pass down and Ari had headphones on and he's just grooving along. He's like, yeah, yeah, man, I hope he does the Tom thing. But he didn't know that I could hear him because in that setting, we're not used to being able to like, that would be the equivalent of someone like taking the talkback microphone and going like, hey, go to the top. Nobody does that. Right. But he did it accidentally, and I went to the Tom thing, and it was like, whoa, you're, that idea was so great. Right. Like, talk about instant feedback, you know? It, it, I, I don't, I'm not encouraging people to shout at me in the middle of a pass, but it was like one of those things that wouldn't have happened right. if he hadn't felt free to, like, say what he felt, you know what I mean? It was a cool – there was no wall there anymore.
0: It's creating a zone. It's creating a vibe and a zone, which is the whole point. Mm-hmm. Right? he feels like he's there, which, which is how it's supposed to feel. Which is what we miss when right. we're alone. And like you said, often it's great because you can take your time getting sounds, and you can tweak, and you don't have the weird pressure of somebody literally standing there, waiting on you. Yeah. But but what we miss is vibe and shit like that, and totally. that instant, instant happy mistakes, happy accidents. Totally. I think that's that's my biggest complaint. Is like the happy accidents are not allowed to happen. <laughs> it's just wrong. Yeah. It's not, it's not a Oh, that was a good accident. It's just like, no, that was wrong. That's not what I was told to do or whatever. So.
1: Totally. Yeah. I I man, it's 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 pretty it's pretty fun. The the in the amount of time that you get to spend with an artist playing the final pass of the exact drum part that they want. Mm-hmm. The, n- nothing hurts our fragile ego more than someone going, "Oh, it's so close, but it's not <laughs> right."
0: <laughs> you or, know, or you spend two hours doing something that you think is really good really and you think what they want, and then you send the MP3 and ten minutes later like so yeah, I don't know. And you're like, oh my god, man. Yeah. Like it's it's good. Come on, like and, like
1: and you and you just wasted not only time, but you wasted a really good idea. Yeah. Cause yeah. you won't go back to that idea again. That idea it 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 exists on a plane of like the moment of inspiration and then when that person goes like yeah their bar for cool is not maybe your bar for cool and that's okay
0: (laughs) right you know sometimes it hurts (laughs) right it
1: totally hurts yeah like all right well i'll just i'll put this on a tape and like send it to my mom and she'll love it (laughs) hopefully yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) tell me so when did you start like recording yourself like was this like a high school thing? Were you like the guy with the four track or?
1: Uh, yes. I, well, I wish I worked at a music school, music stu- uh, store in high school in Flint, Michigan. And uh, there was a recording studio next door and it was like a dat era, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, wasn't cool and I wasn't indie rock enough to be in the, some of the bands but I would end up like playing on projects for bands that their drummer had just quit or couldn't play to a click track okay right so I was too nerdy and jazzy to like you know hang out with one of these guys at the skate park and like you know play all ages shows but I was like I was definitely the guy that like they knew from the music store okay. that would go that could go in and play drums and and sound you know passable Right. Um, and, uh, so I kind of got the bug there and then I, you know, was a friend of mine had, uh, one of the first like Roland eight tracks, the VS 880, mm-hmm. um, which we all remember. Yep. And we just had a bunch of vocal microphones cause my whole family's in gospel music, yep. uh, like vocal, you know, quartet music. And so like, nobody had like a kick drum mic you know what i mean so we just we didn't know that that was a thing so we were all like taking these weird dynamic microphones and things and like trying to get things to sound good you know and and uh experimenting in 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 whatever sense you can do that and then so that was multi my introduction to multi-track in high school and then my dad had a mini disc recorder oh man totally. so i would yeah oh completely but i would go with my friends and we would like all plug into this pv mixer that he had out in the basement and we would like record our jam sessions or whatever and just the idea to be able to do something and then instantly hear it back Mm -hmm. and have it like I'm, i'm sure it sounded terrible but to to us at the time like being able to put it in my portable mini disc player and like take it to school and like show my friends what my band did the night before like that was Right. Blew my mind. I did I wish I had gotten more into the technical side of that, um, of recording. I didn't really catch that bug until until like kind of college. Um
0: I still think it's cool though to witness that, like, oh, you go into the mixer first and then we can go we can go into this device. As long as yeah. we go through the mixer, you know, quote unquote, mix ourselves there, play. Yep. I mean, there's an ob- objectivity of, like, you're seeing that from that angle,
1: you know? The instant gratification. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, as a kid, like, you jam and you have a blast, and then you, and then you like, start to take it too seriously, and then you start, you rehearse and you rehearse and you rehearse because you've got the big gig that mm-hmm. is wherever it is, whatever thing, and then you show up and it goes terribly and something breaks and the, you know, whatever. Like, inevitably, you have these weird live experiences, but I think the thing that, that kept me and, and my best friend, Eric, uh, really interested to this day is like that thing of being able to create something that didn't exist when you woke up in the morning. Right. And like have like hear it back and have it affect you. And also like, understand that you, there's a lot to learn, you know, that there's like A lot of people who are doing this really well, and you just keep your mouth shut and you know your ears open, and hopefully, (laughs) we can, you know, keep doing it. Um, is the goal, right?
0: Right. So you, so wait, kind of a sidebar. Did did you go down to Detroit and play? Were you playing clubs in Detroit? I I wasn't doing a
1: ton. I was going to see shows in Detroit. Okay. Like I was going down and seeing ska bands and, you know, punk bands and stuff at the shelter and, and all of that. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, and a little bit to Ann Arbor, but, but mostly it was like, there was a, a there's a place, a local, it's called the Local 432 in Flint. It's like an all ages club. Okay. Um, and I was super involved with this kind of scene around that. Uh, okay. and it's, it's still going. Um, this guy, Joel runs it. It's a really cool oh wow Uh, thing it's it's awesome um cool so that was kind of the exposure and then working in the music store like I was by a decade the youngest guy in there I you know was a sophomore in high school and no extracurriculars in school would just drive straight to the music store every day and right and hang out with these you know crusty musician types
0: so it wasn't just like a drum store it was like a well, I guess that's, we all had one of those, the place in Ann Arbor was called Al Nally's. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And there and the cool thing about that is like down below, they had their own drum section. So I would just go down there and it was like, it was small. Yeah. Like, you know, just to, I would go down there every week and I would just walk. Yep. Walk around and just look at all the kits that changed out or, or there's a new thing or whatever. It was always, you know. Yeah, yeah. You guys are, you're, you grew up in Ann Arbor? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was at, a, it was a place called Bogner Sound and Music. Okay um, in Flint. And it went from like, when I started working there, we had Mapex and (laughs) Piesty. Um, and when I left, we had like high-end star classics, Tama stuff. Like we had Aot, we had pork pie. We had, um, all of the Signia, Genista, like all that stuff. We had a bunch of vintage gear and I had just like grown it and grown it over the course of these, you know, four years.
0: So you were Um, kind of in charge of that.
1: I was after the first year. Yeah. Oh wow.
0: That's cool. That's yeah. kind of amazing as a high school kid to be involved in gear.
1: Yeah. And I studied with a guy named Bill Schaefer, who had Schaefer's drum shop in Flint. Okay. And so but he was just so mean. He was just a mean guy. it was real he was really old and he taught for so long and he was just he was crusty. Real crusty. And his shop wasn't doing well because Guitar Center was kick his butt and people were just going down to detroit and buying their kits and then taking their kids to him for lessons and i was like i think we can beat this like Mm. i think we can i think we can do 30 to 40 off map and still make a little money on this stuff and i think i can move some drums and i luckily the guy that owned the shop like trusted you know a 17 year old kid enough to like put me in charge and as long as he was making money on it i was allowed to order whatever I wanted to um
0: that's fucking amazing dude. it was
1: cool it was it was a really great way to learn I uh, you know um about the there's like an industry to it you know um for sure like just around the whole like nam like I went to the nam show when I was 18 mm-hmm. you know and like I the reps all treated me like a grown-up which is like really great you know
0: do you think that helped you acquire like your studio, like the gear that you've picked for your studio, that knowledge? I, th- uh, I think, I think so.
1: I, it definitely set me up for, um, we didn't have like, it wasn't, uh, what I would say is a cool, you know,
0: right. I guess situ- what I mean is I, like, what what I mean is, that, is I guess what I mean is the retail side kind of knowing like, Um, you know, whether calling reps and asking like, Hey, can I, can I check this out? Or knowing retail prices and going like, ah, that's not, or I think, you know, having an inside scoop on like good deals and shit. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. There's definitely like the value of what's going to hold, like what's going to, what kind of stuff is going to hold its value and what kind of stuff is geared towards prosumers uh weekend warriors and what kind of stuff is geared towards towards professionals yeah
2: um
1: like we uh we kind of did a bit of both and so that was a big learning thing of like figuring out what um what stuff i just it, it forced me to like use my own ears and go like i know this thing is really expensive but it doesn't sound good you know, it doesn't sound like that. We had an old Rogers kit in there the entire time I worked there. And mm-hmm. I don't know why I should have bought it. It was a really great, like early beaver tail kit. Um, But it was like white pearl. It wasn't a cool color that I was into at the time, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh and I had like my nine piece DW kit, you know, whatever. Um <laughs> With the rack system and all the Pisces signatures. Of uh And so I didn't get it. but. Like I would hit it, I would play it, I would set it up and like hear it and go like, oh that this is a this is a great this sounds like records, right right like this other shiny new birch hybrid kit with die cast hoops like sounds like like a weird version of you know what's on m t v right now right. when they, when music was happening on m t v right like but this makes me think. Of this makes me think of Al Jackson. This makes me think of Motown and Stax and those things, which I, I of course love. Right. So
0: that's a cool tones perspective to get because I remember back when I was in college, I just had this Yamaha, you know, modern Yamaha kid, early nineties, whatever. Yeah. And you know, playing like it was always weird for me to go play like Bebop with f- friends at school it just never sounded right. And I, was, oh. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and the symbols weren't right. And, and like in my brain, I was like, man, I'm not a great jazz drummer. It never sounds quite right. And, you know, I was studying, I was studying the right things. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I, when I moved to LA and I was going to like jam sessions and there was like a kit at like fifth street dicks that was like old crusty kit. I mean, not the pressure of school was gone and the, yeah. and the judgment, but all of a sudden I was playing one of these kits and i was like i was like oh i actually know how to do this and i sound pretty good yeah and that was like a pretty huge thing of like i wish back then i had i had been like hey i kind of need two kits like i need one so i can go do top 40 gigs in dallas yes and another one i where i can just jazz out and it sounds proper because right. we are practicing philly Jolicks on a yamaha touring kit like, Right. No it just doesn't sound like it's right, the, right. never it's yeah. never it's never gonna do the thing
1: and and those drummers that like when you hear, I don't know what it was like before Johnny vodakovich like went to like the fortune drum thing with that guy in Cleveland, you know he mm. was pl- like there's a there's like a the New Orleans drumming video. do you remember this? there's like a series of new orleans drummers
0: i mean that, it, yes i bre- i'm remembering as you tell me yes yeah and they were red perlin Riley,
1: perlin riley was jenny Badakovich was on it um and uh, uh uh oh man i i i need to find i need to find it. i'm sure it's all on youtube at this point yeah. but i just remember that video happening and it was like cocaine 90s drum sounds <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah like Super deep power toms. I don't know whose kid it was, but these dudes rolled into that studio and made that shit sound great. Right. But it did not sound like they sound on their drums. It did not sound like traditional. Yep. But there was, I was like, God, that rack tom, you know, with like two seconds of decay is like really weird for this, but that snare drum sounds amazing like it's really hard to mess that thing up right because the hands sound amazing yeah. you know what i mean
0: i think there's uh, a levon helm video which is oh. thing, where he's playing a more modern kit it's still levon you're like yeah that's, that's dope but it, it's this but yeah exactly but the symbols and shit you're kind of like uh, you know like yeah <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Man, that stuff is there's there is some there is some gnarly tones on some of the leave on
0: stuff you hear online. It's it's and and uh, a very unique snare sound, man. Some of that stuff, like that mm -hmm. screw, whatever was happening. Yeah. Recording space or the and the drums and him. I mean a really unique, dry, snappy, like
1: Right. Yeah. And it was so so much of it was like cranked up because the heads were so old and you didn't go to the, you didn't go to guitar center or like get on Amazon and order new drum heads. You just kept cranking it up. Right. So that you could, they could hear you not over Robbie, but over Garth. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Over Garth's Leslie.
2: Yeah. Like
1: that, that's gotta, your snare has got to hit the back of the room. And that's, I mean, that's a special sound, but to watch him play that little, it was like an A. 16 inch that he used for it's in the last waltz. It's like his left side ride cymbal, basically, Mm -hmm. barely hitting it. But it just because his vocal, you know, you gotta you gotta hear him sing. Yep. But man, it's just there. It's so perfect. I don't know. I I those are guys that I wish I wish I had I had discovered a lot earlier than I did. Right.
0: Well, it takes time. Well, it takes either an environment or the maturity yeah to let that stuff in
1: yeah I, if, you know, if i had gotten that before i went to went to berkeley yeah i i i would i i don't know i mean whatever like we I, can all
0: i don't think there's a lot of suburban environments you know i'm uh, assuming that we grew up in like similar yeah types of neighborhoods and things like that you know I, I always had a frustration of like, I was always looking for more alternative things, but what I even called alternative was like a little too far for me. Like the Pixies were like too far for my like uh, my of friends. The Pixies yeah. was a little too far for me to even go like, yeah, that's dope. It was like, oh man, that's a little weird. I don't yeah. know. You know, even yeah. though like I was frustrated with like, you know, MTV and metal and, you know, I was into Rush, but I was still looking for like, man, let's like, I feel stuck. Yeah, you know, like, and, and my, Soundgarden
1: was all there was.
0: Well, I mean, I'm a little older <laughs> than you. For all oh, right, so for me, that wasn't that was my first year of college.
1: Okay, okay, cool.
0: Well, actually, no, I should say Bad Motorfinger was my first. Right. Year of college. So, like, the coming out of Soundgarden. Cool. But I, but it was like, I was like, what, like, what is like, and then you know, my first semester of college, it was like, I remember coming home and playing my brother the Meters. Yes, my brother's he's not a musician like you gotta hear this and I was like freaking out on it and he was just like yeah okay right you know what I mean but that was the thing I was looking for something but I didn't know what it was yeah you know but you know I I still don't know if somebody had played me the meters when I was in high school if it would have connected
1: there was a there was a bass player that grew up in Owasso that I was in he was my introduction to like Medesky Martin and Wood and John Schofield Mm -hmm. and like a lot of um, a little bit of meters but and then he was like way into like John Zorn he was like into like a lot of like and then like tons of like avant-garde stuff Yeah, really interesting dude and but was like so bizarre you know and I was like I always kind of kept that music at like arm's length because the kid was like a really good friend of mine, but I was like, man, he's so weird. Is this music so weird? Like, cause he liked really strange stuff. And then the middle of the road thing that I could get into with him was like the Medeski thing, right. you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. which I'm super, super grateful for. And that definitely like carried it over into college. And when I really dug into, to the, to the meter stuff was like, Oh, that's, that's what this is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is the OG like situation. And that makes sense. You yeah. know?
0: Yeah, like my introduction to kind of any New Orleans stuff was that Schofield record with Vodakovich on it. Yeah, which I think was called Flat Out. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to in ages, and maybe Terling Terling Carrington was on that record too. It might be the same record. I I don't know, but that was like, that was like my bridge. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, oh, I like this. This is cool. You know?
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah I saw them at the. Um, I saw I saw Modesky at the. uh uh state theater i think is that or michigan no michigan theater theater yeah and in ann arbor yeah that with that kid and it was like that was a moment that was a thing where i was like i can't believe that this that this many people all these people are here to see this music
2: Mm.
1: you know like that was super encouraging to Mm -hmm. me you know right because like all i could think about was like pine knob (laughs) you know r.i.p and and being amazed that like people showed up for Steely Dan and were were as excited as I was
0: <laughs> right right um all right so wait did you go to Berkeley
1: yeah yeah okay, cool. yeah
0: and then you
1: I did, were- I did a semester I did a year at Mott Community College in Flint oh yeah um where I, I uh, had a great jazz teacher Chuck Iwanusa there and then um and then ended up ended up at uh, at Berkeley for like five semesters
0: okay yeah and were you uh, uh just to stay on the recording topic and not going down drum lane how much more were you exposed to recording at berkeley or your interest was peaked in well i mean obviously you're multi instrumentalist writer producer was that peaked there or was it still like drumming centric
1: it was it was drumming centric i would say i was i was really um i was really exposed exposed to the recording thing i, I worked at mars music um and I my first my first couple semesters and the guys in the guitar department were all recording guys and they all grew up in Austin, Texas together and were like oil brats in Jakarta, Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um and my friend Justin Douglas, he owns an amazing studio in Austin, uh King Electric. And so he's still doing all he's still like in the engineering world, but they were uh they were like in their last semester, and I was in my first. So they like You know, I not like I not only had my first beer at their house, uh, but I like they gave me a bunch of Texas music like Chris Whitley and a bunch of Daniel Lanois and like um, uh, Ian Moore, the guitar guy, like all that stuff. Like they exposed me to so much cool Texas music. Um, And they invited me to like play on sessions for them and like sit in because to be in the in the engineering recording department there you had to like take a bunch of math you had to do eight full semesters you couldn't come in as a transfer student like you had to do and basically after your i think third semester you basically don't play anymore like there's no more ensembles there's no more like private instruction on your primary instrument hmm. um, and i didn't i didn't want to do that so i i just um kind of focused on i i did as much of that recording as i could and then did a thing called that they call pro music where you can kind of design your own course. Okay. Um, and I, uh, so I was able to like take some production classes, but also take a bunch of arranging classes. Right. Um, and like I played keys in the tower of power ensemble there, like Hammond. And so I got to do that and get credit for it. Yeah. Now, like I, I was able to do a lot of different things um, and still able to like study privately um and then yeah, after my fifth semester with every intention of you know finishing at some point um i left i think i've got like six credits left
0: <laughs> it's a, Too late man it's never too, too late <laughs> man,
1: i don't know it might be it might be i i just can't like what yeah what am i gonna do you like me sitting in front of like taking art history too i'm berkeley That's online good you got time now. <laughs> I don't have any time. I mean, I'm so grateful to not have the time, but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't
0: think it's important at this point.
1: It was, it was um, uh, it was, it was great. I, I really had had a lot of fun there. Um, and then, you know, moved to Nashville with some friends and got my ass completely handed to me. Yeah. Um, and you know, basically, learned very quickly from some more seasoned professionals that like, it doesn't matter where you went to school, you have to know how to leave space. You have to know how to show up with really great sounding drums.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, you have to know that your opinion is not always needed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and those, and, and you also like have to know how to do your stink and taxes. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of stuff that I that I that I I wish that I could have learned, but it just wasn't the time for it. You know what I mean? I'm not uh,
0: sure there um you know, I've had this conversation a hundred times with our peers and I'm not I mean, I just think that it, it just comes it life comes when it comes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like if somebody said to you at Berkeley, Hey man, time to take the doing your taxes course, you would have been like I actually took
1: the music business for the musician class at Berkeley. Okay. They didn't say anything about filing your taxes. Okay.
0: Well, they said even less at North Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was amazing. It wasn't even like, here's how you negotiate your rate for a gig. It was just- Right.
1: Oh, yeah. There's, oh my gosh, we could talk about that. I mean, all day. But I, I basically moved to Nashville and my buddy had a 002- rig mm-hmm. um we had a little studio space um i didn't have a lot of recording gear myself uh at that point but i had a bunch of drums so we had all kind of we did the thing where we were all like combining gear trying to like make a studio yep. situation that appeared professional yep and um i i did that i, I worked at a club doing front of, uh front of house and monitors for like a 1200 seat venue in nashville And then I worked for Drum Paradise, uh, which is a cartage company in Nashville. Yeah, of course. So I was doing a bunch of like music adjacent, like playing, like musician adjacent jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, And the crazy story is I, from the Drum Paradise thing, I did, uh, um, I did a setup for Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater, who I was a huge fan of as a kid. Yeah. Saw him at St. Andrews Hall. You know, in like
2: '95,
1: mm-hmm. um, and uh, did a setup for him, and he called and like basically like, you know, was like, "Hey, do you want to come on tour? I'm going to Europe for two weeks with this guy. I need a tech. Uh, I love how the drums sounded. Blah blah blah." So I went on the road first time on a bus. Had to get a uh, expedite a uh, um, a passport. Right. Um, actually, I found the passport the other day. This is the this is the this is the passport that kid. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't know if that shows my passport number if that matters whatever it doesn't matter. Uh, I, um okay. <laughs> uh but uh I got to go to Europe for 2 weeks and like tech for Mike Portnoy, and it had the best time. It was amazing.
0: That's a rad story, dude.
1: And a year later he called me up and was like, "Hey, my my tech of 13 years just gave his notice he's leaving like if you want the gig it's yours i haven't told anybody else um if you want it you know so he was still playing with dream theater if you want it i'll fly you to new jersey you can stay with me um we'll go to tama they'll show you how to put the rig together and then we fly to italy for tour rehearsals in, in uh in three weeks wow and i was like man i was like i need 24 hours to think about this like that's a big big thing Because I did see myself in in 13 years at 23 years old, you know, um, still drum teching from Mike Portnoy.
0: Sure. Yeah, the paycheck comes, you're on the road, you're having fun.
1: Right. Yeah. Totally. You've got, you know, I love being around gear. Mike's a nice dude. Like, whatever it is. Like, is that the thing? Is that the lane for me? Because that's a hard lane to pull yourself out of. Um, and I called him the next day and said, and said, no, cause I, I, and he was so gracious, like so cool. Um, and we basically, like I had gotten a couple of auditions with some country artists and I hadn't landed anything yet, but Mm -hmm. just the idea that like those opportunities did exist for a young drummer who was willing to work really hard. Like I, I'm, I'm glad that it, it all has played out the way that it did um
0: it's really interesting to me to hear first of all about you playing keyboards in a tower power group (laughs) well no i I i'm not being sarcastic like because that obviously you're learning harmony and like you had some sense of keyboard chops or or have keyboard chops that i didn't even realize that you had
1: i i played i took piano lessons as a kid okay my dad when i was 12 he said if you want to keep taking drum lessons you you have to start taking piano lessons. I want you to learn a real instrument.
0: Right. But that does not equate to actually being able to play in a organ in a tower of power band because trust me, I had a ton of piano lessons as a kid (laughs) and like functionally, you know, harmony, I can get around chords. I know it, but like chops zero, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're different things. You know what I mean?
1: A guy from my church collected Hammond organs and Mm -hmm. loaned me one for three years when I was in high school okay like so i had i had i mean that's insane right like right. i had access to it um
0: but you you were understanding draw bars and everything and
1: yeah going into it and had gotten into the Medeski thing you know had like gotten into some some stuff that was like pretty cool um at the time so uh and then my my first gig like six months after i said no to the to the to the dream theater job was like um, was playing keyboards for a big Christian artist. Okay. And then I did that for two and a half years. So I was just like went from like working at a pizza joint and running monitors to saying no to dream theater guy to being on a bus, putting all my stuff in storage and living on the road for six months. Right. And then you're stuck in another situation where now I'm the Christian keyboard player guy. Okay. So the only way that I could even get arrested as a drummer was if I learned how to record myself. Ding, ding. Right. Right. And if if nobody else is going to hire me and the only way that I can figure out to be able to sustain a life that doesn't require me to leave town. I mean, that's, that's just to learn how to record. Mm Mm-hmm. Um
0: and so in Nashville, so then at some point you decided I gotta buckle down and like create my own drumming career.
1: And by yeah, and, and just by like make smart purchases. Mm-hmm. Um I had a handful of microphones. I remember I found like a whole batch of Audio Technica forty thirty 4040s, a really great Uh, old brass capsule 414 and a pair of apex tube microphones, like the Chinese made tube mics, 47 copies that sound bad. Right. And I, I, I think I spent like $2,500 or something for like all of these microphones. And then I sold some of them and then the 414 didn't work and so i i was like left with enough but i was still left with enough microphones and had made enough of an investment to where like i had a i had a imac and a no i had an ibook and a um the first motu 828 interface okay um firewire 400 and a uh a set of ns10s and um that was pretty much it, and 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 I was using a uh,
0: digital performer. You had a sense of mix because you said you were doing live, yeah, front of house mixing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's a pretty massive perspective too. To like, to what I'm sure. Not only that, watch drummers come through every night. Yeah, not just drummers, but any anybody anybody that's too loud or has great tone or shitty tone. Right. I mean, right. learning curve.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean I remember doing monitors and it was we um uh Jason Berger uh we were Death Cab was playing on the Transatlanticism mm-hmm. tour and I had never heard of them. Mm. And I was just like I was like how is this guy this is a rock band and this guy's tone is unbelievable. Mm. Like he's he's doing studio shit on this Stage in this setting and it's translating in front of house.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I was super interested in what that was, and a lot of it was, as you know, like it's just mixed self mix, and you know, volume and controlling your symbols. Right. So um, I I definitely took a lot from that, and then I took a lot from there was a there was I was playing in a band, and we were working with a producer, and he and I became really good friends. And he would bring me in. He was a drummer, um, a guy named Donnie Batwell, and he would just let me come in and play on stuff. Like he wouldn't really pay me, but you know the the idea because he was a drummer, so he would, like there was no reason for him to like you know hire me, yep. um, other than he got to just engineer and I got to experience the whole thing and ask a bunch of questions. Um,
0: and, and you the, learning engineering skills from him at the same time. Tons, day. tons
1: from him, so much. And he had some really great gear and, um, you know, some really nice drums and the room sounded, the room that he had at the time sounded really good. So there was, there, that was a really cool season for me to like be able to really dig in and ask some questions and feel like I could ask some really dumb questions. And I trusted this guy enough that I knew he wasn't going to steer me in a weird direction.
0: Right. Um, You were in the control room and and check out settings and. Yeah. Move things maybe, or. Totally. Mic placement, moving knobs, whatever.
1: EQ. I mean, so much EQ and compression information came from him, you know, and then learning how to make mistakes on that stuff and what those things should sound like. And even, even down to like what I don't like about, those sounds and and what to look for to make something my own you know what i mean that was that was always really encouraged in that environment um and so my first piece of uh like actual recording gear was this longevin dual vocal combo it's like a two channel yeah and a buddy of mine was a a songwriter friend of mine that i had worked with on a project uh was selling it and you know for a thousand bucks or 900 bucks or something and i didn't know how to use it and it's got these like weird opto compressors in it and so i just like that thing allowed me to fall on my face because there was no way to really make it sound bad mm-hmm. you know there was only it could only get
0: better right um, the gear is like that right it's like right i cut that's not what i meant but it still sounds good
1: it pretty great yeah. So that but that dude, the first time I ever got hired to produce something was for this Christian band. And I went to that engineer, I went to Donnie, and I was like, I need you to mix this. Also, can we track it here? Because I don't have enough gear to be able to track it on my own. And he was like, Totally. What's the budget? And I told him the budget. And I think at the end of that record, I ended up walking away with $60. <laughs> right. For like a 10 song, like a full length LP that I worked my ass off and made a ton of mistakes. And Donnie walked away with a lot more money than me. Like, you know, And, and so that was the next job was how do I keep some of the money? Right. How do I keep enough of the money so that I don't have to take the next touring gig if I don't want to or um how can i see this as like a sustainable way to to make a living you know yeah um and so whatever the next thing was like you're just investing in better microphones and then i got a better space to record drums is i mean you know like having space is that's the that's the biggest thing i mean we can have amazing sounding microphones but if you don't if your space isn't under control and and has a vibe and and Feels good to be in and create in. Like then, there's nothing. There's no getting around that. So, you know, settling in, finally settling into a to a space where I felt like, like I had enough gear and a couple of nice pieces that I had a good signal chain on the kick and on the snare. You know, to start like, that was where it. It I felt like I could like, start telling people that I was a producer. You know. Like start telling people that I I charge money for a service and the result is good enough that people would occasionally give me money to do it.
0: Right. Um, it's certain. It's a, it's a great crash course too in understanding how tones work together, kick drums and basses. Yeah. You know guitars, and vocals, of course. You know how right. that all that stuff glues together, and. I mean, not, not only those tones individually, like a, a good guitar tone for what the thing is, but, but, and then reverse, you know, just being able to incorporate that into your drums. Right. You know? Like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, it seems right. like we're learning that all simultaneously, not necessarily as a drummer, but as a, just a really almost as an engineer producer. Right. Yeah.
1: And trying just trying to understand that those relationships, um, And also I think the biggest thing that it does for all of us going through that process of trying to figure out how to get those sounds is it changes the way that we listen to music. Right. And it changes the way that we understand those sonic relationships um, around the records that we really love and even around the records that we didn't love, but we loved how they sounded like go back to that thing. You know, that's, that's super, super exciting at that point, that stage in your, your career.
0: And also, I mean, oddly enough, going back to some things and going like, wow, this actually sounds like shit. But the, sound, the songs are so good that it just doesn't matter. Right, right. There's plenty of examples of that. Totally. But I mean, like, I didn't like
1: the Eagles drum sounds when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I remember, like, really disliking dead-sounding drums, you know? And, not, like, when you, can, when you can go back, like, now I'm, like, trying to go and listen to a lot of records and go, like, how did they get that? Like, I've got a Fives fiberglass kit here, and I've got a bunch of vista concert toms. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, I have the stuff, but I still can't get that. I'm chasing those sounds that I didn't like growing up. <laughs> you know? I, yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah. So, it's so fun.
0: I mean, it's a vast thing, especially, you know, it's, like, up until, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it wasn't about going back and chasing those things. Like people weren't trying to recreate Beatles drums or Eagles drums.
1: Right. Right.
0: Until kind of recently. The,
1: and the Eagles is a weird example because all I can think is like the Don Henley, like toweled concert Tom thing. And I'm not even like, those aren't that's like, I don't know why we would even use the Eagles as an example. They're fine. The Eagles are fine. But like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I, you know what I mean? For them, for them, that was, there was a reason why they were doing that. Right. Like, it it was vibe, it was, you know, the rooms that they were in, right? Was the style at the time of recording disco was influencing them? They were not, but that was an influence, you know. And then the eighties came and shit was like super bright and wide open, you know. It was just moving through eras. Whereas now it's like, like you just said, it's like, and I've spent a lot of time going like, okay, how do I do that? Like be able to know how to do that to, to, to work, right? Yeah,
1: that's a that's a thing. I got a Motown reference the other day, Mm -hmm. and but it was like Mark Ronson does Motown. You know what I mean? So there's like samples and other things involved, right? But the the core of the drum sound was the '60s Yamaha kit. That's like a like kind of weird, yeah. The bearing edges aren't right. Yep. You know, it's a 12, 14, 20. And, um, I don't know if you've played those drums, but they don't, they don't, they don't sound when you're sitting in front of them. Like they, like they do when you listen back to them on speakers. Right. Like there's a, there's a transient thing that happens with them and they're so, they're so punchy and they sound like an era,
2: you know? Yeah.
1: Um, and i that's definitely been a thing that that I've tried to buy gear that has that kind of sound you know i mean my front end for for my um for all my drum sounds is this like this sidecar this this op amp labs Ooh. it's like a t- twelve channel
2: okay. op
1: amp labs thing with like a pull style, you know two band e q um inductor e q and um and it does, it's crunchy and mm-hmm. it, it's got a, it's got a thing, you know, I, I, I can't do like super hi-fi clean drums here. And I've, I've kind of.
0: Because of that piece of gear.
1: Because I've just, because of this, the kind of stuff that I've built, you know, around that, you know, the kind of microphones and, right. and, and things. I mean, I can get, I can get clean enough, yeah. but it's, it's never going to sound like. You know, like it was tracked, it it uh, you know it A and M through an SSL or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's it's never gonna have that sheen to it. Yeah. Um. But hopefully, it sounds like the records that I like. You know, it's
0: interesting great. to me is like, um, you know, my evolution, and I think a lot of drummers' evolutions that I've talked to who record themselves is that. You learn to record you learn mic placement you start to learn internal balance you're afraid yep. to send things off that are eq or compressed you're like oh those will get taken care of i know my drums sound good
1: right but right you,
0: it seems like you obviously were able to dive into that immediately and commit to eq and yeah compression. like you had a handle on that almost equally as you were as you were going yes
1: uh i but I also because I didn't have a lot, of, I didn't have any outboard gear. I did have to learn the important importance of the 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 sound of the instrument sounding mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. and the placement of the microphone. Right, um, and I'm super thankful for that because now, like, if I was putting a rig together and bought two, you know, bought an Apollo, and was just printing unison compression and preamps and like adding a ton of you know 80 hertz because everybody likes boomy drums to everything then like there's 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 no you everything it just sounds it just starts to sound bad you know what i mean like we like we we lose the the air in the room right we lose the 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 sound we lose the what happens the magical stuff between notes you know when when you can when you can feel the distance between the the instrument and the microphone, you know? And um so I'm glad I'm glad that there was a time where I always tell people to like don't commit to compression. I was like how you know for sure have fun with it. Um but like record if you're just learning it, like record, get the best sound you can without any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then go in later and go like okay how does this work together? An understanding of phase is so important you know in those situations um and even now like it depends on what the client wants you know like i don't i don't i don't print uh, i i don't always i don't hit everything with compression in eq necessarily um but what i do is i i definitely slam a mono mic you know, I always get a get a slammed mono. I always get like a like some kind of mid room like ribbon thing that's pretty affected or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two things, and I do like an in and out kick thing yes. um, most of the time. And between those things, that's enough. That's enough processing on my end that co- allows the drums to faders up sound good. Uh, they don't sound mixed, but they sound like, oh, this is a really great mm-hmm. pass in a really great space, um, and then, uh, and then they can do with it what they want. But because there's like one smacked mono thing, and enough thump in the kick drum naturally, I do compress. I've got a 160 on the kick drum that does get printed most of the time. Sure. Um, but because those things are already there, like the faders up, drums sound. Pretty good, you know. Pretty like mix mix ready. Yeah. Um so that They're
0: given option. So people yeah. immediately can go like, ooh, that's cool. Okay, don't need that, but ooh, okay.
1: Right, right. And then I've got like a whole like chain of uh like guitar pedals and a copper phone mic or like a green bullet. And that stuff is so fun. I mean, you love that stuff, like right? Like it's I love that stuff. <laughs> what a great I'm actually having Austin Hooks build me like a woolen sack tape deck. Um Pre amplifier, like a tube pre, that I can that'll act as a distortion unit next to the kit. So like that'll be like after the pedals, and that'll be the preamp for the pedal. So you can get like tube distortion on it, or you can do it off the pedals. Like I, that stuff I I super love, you know.
0: That's cool. And not only that, you could send something like your Nordrum through there, or whatever, or sample thing, right? Dude, Nordrum
1: goes through. There's a pedal board up there. Yeah that is wired into the effect sends of this line mixer. So all the synths, the Mellotron, all the stuff goes into this they all have their own channel on the line mixer. Yeah. And Nordrum has one. And then the effect sends go through the electrics filters and all of the pedals. Right. So you can like do that stuff in real time and like it all the stuff will see MIDI most of the time, you know, MIDI is. But like I, that that idea of like having this stuff and being able to use it in a way that creates something that's that's unique. Yeah. You know, I I love sound toys and those presets are really great. But like, if I do something that like stumps me later, and like I have no idea what that sound <laughs> is, but it's so cool uh-huh. when I'm like printing something to send it to mix. And I have no idea because there's no plugins on it. It just came off the board with like some like shimmery octave like reverse reverb thing. Yep. Or I can send it back out through my pedal boards here. Yep. Like that stuff is it's all like very hands-on, you know. I, I love being able to work in the computer and the the miracle that we get to do all this with technology. Um, but it's a nice breath of fresh air when you get to get your hands on on real gear too, you know.
0: Yeah, the tweaky thing about, the tweaker thing about guitar pedals is just unparalleled. To Like, for me, a memory man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible how many things you can do with that, with drums. In yeah. It, and I, in the right situations, I use it live sometimes. Yep. Not necessarily in, you know, never, hardly ever in like a songwriter situation, but, you know, jams or whatever. And just a memory man, you know, I mean, man, it's so fun. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's yeah. one. This one's really cool, and, it, and they're pretty cheap. Um, is this kilobyte pedal. Uh, this company called um, Caroline. These guys. Okay. And this one, uh, I had to relabel it because their labeling's terrible. But this one has, like, a momentary switch. Mm-hmm. So you can grab it, like, next to your hi-hat side yeah. after, a pill, after a fill, and it'll do, like, the infinite repeat thing and, like, start m- modulating. And that freaks people out. You take something like that on a session, and you kick into a fill, and there's like this crazy trail happening after it. Right. So fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Such a freaking, such a freaking winner that one. They made it out of old, uh, uh chips, like the the reverb and delay chips out of old uh, karaoke machines, like the portable. Oh. Yeah, like so the
0: had that kind of like. Lo-fi. Does yeah, it's not that great sounding. Technology. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. But it's awesome on drums because it's like so just mid-range focused. Oh wow! So it still stays out of the way. It's cool. It's yeah. definitely one to. I'll 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 have to drop it off post pandemic and let you borrow it. That's
2: I got it. Yeah, I definitely got to check that out.